Hello and welcome to Elevating Founders, the podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector, who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges, brought to you by London Tech Week and hosted by myself, Sina Sadzada. This week, we're kicking it off with an episode led by Sean Toyokodi, head of launch with GS, EMA. Goldman Sachs' $1 billion investment strategy grounded in the firm's data-driven thesis that diverse teams drive strong returns. Through launch with GS, Goldman Sachs aims to increase access to capital and facilitate connections for women, black, Latinx, and other diverse entrepreneurs and investors. Schwann leads the recruitment pillar for the firm-wide black network in EMA and serves as the international mobility champion for the women's network. Schwann also previously founded Teach a Girl Nigeria, a nonprofit that provides education for young girls. So in this episode, Schwann is joined by Medulla Poor, co-founder and co-CEO at Pepe Health. Peppy provides health support to employees going through life's biggest transitions, such as becoming a parent or going through the menopause. Peppy brings together Medulla's passion for affordable, accessible healthcare with her love of innovation. Shuan and Medulla's conversation dived into the benefits of digital health platforms versus traditional healthcare and embracing wellness for workforces, to the investment climate, and the importance of investors to not only support female founders, but providing clarity in the current climate and beyond. And so now I'm going to hand it over to Schwan. Hi, everybody. My name is Shaun Toye Kayode, and I am the head of Launch with GS in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Launch with GS is Goldman Sachs' $1 billion investment strategy, grounded in our belief that diverse teams outperform. So through Launch, we aim to provide connections, create community, and build an ecosystem of diverse founders and investors, and hopefully drive capital as we continue to do so. I'm very excited to be on this podcast today and to introduce you to Dr. Madula Poor. Madula is co-CEO and co-founder of Pepe. Pepe provides health support to employees going through life's big transitions, such as becoming a parent or going through menopause. Pepe brings together Madula's passion for affordable, accessible healthcare with her love for innovation. Before moving into digital health, she led NHS service redesign projects at McKinsey and launched several high-profile generic pharmaceuticals as head of the UK retail pharmacy business at Sandoz, a Novartis company. Merdula was educated in India, the UK, and the USA. She holds an MEng from Cambridge, a PhD from MIT, and an MBA from MIT Sloan. She lives in London with her husband and young children. Welcome, Merdula. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So the topic today is going to be investing in the next generation of female founders. Would love to start off by just asking, how have the last 12 months been for you? Well, the, the last 12 months, I think as for most businesses, have been a roller coaster. The financial economic environment has changed massively. The investment environment has changed massively. For us, um, it's also been a period of tremendous growth. We've grown almost 5x, more than 5x in the last 12 months, um, expanded into other geographies, grown the, more than doubled the team. So, uh, yeah, my sense of time is somewhat warped, I have to say, from the last 12 months, struggling to remember what Pepe was like a year ago. Fascinating, but also extremely great to hear. I think that's probably a unique perspective given, you know, market conditions, et cetera. So tell us a little bit more about Pepe Health and how you got to be here today. Yeah, sure. So Pepe is really based on the premise that, look, all of us, 
will go through phases of our lives where we need additional support on our health. These are sort of natural stages of our life, either associated with our reproductive journeys, simple aging, our family situations changing. As you mentioned, um, welcoming a new baby into the family, going through the menopause, we have a fertility service, um, men's health and women's health, things like living with common gynecological condition. Now, in today's healthcare service, um, you know, if we were to show up at a doctor's, majority of the time for most people, they're not actually considered ill and in need of medical or surgical intervention. And, and the healthcare system's not really set up to do that. But at these phases of our lives, we often feel vulnerable. We make decisions about our working lives. And so employers have a massive stake and incentive to support people through these journeys. And we allow them to do that um, as an employee benefit uh, we work with a very wide range of tech companies, professional services companies, uh, multinational corporations, support their staff, all of their staff, uh, through our digital health service platform, which allows them to connect directly to specialist healthcare professionals, help them navigate their journey over weeks, months, sometimes years. Super helpful. And you've talked a little bit about this, but what are the benefits of a digital healthcare platform as you articulate it over here versus a traditional healthcare? Yeah, so, I mean, if you think about what traditional healthcare, the way it's set up, it's really quite supplier-centered. So we go to the clinic, we go to the person who's providing us care. We go when they give us a clinic appointment. Um, we go to see them based on what their specialty is, be that a gynecologist, be that a pediatrician, not necessarily centered around what our problem is when we need the help and how intense that help we need it. The benefit of a digital health platform is we can provide that user centricity. We can provide the convenience, um, you know, whether that's because you're working multiple shifts, weird hours, long hours, um, you can, we can provide access, um, you can provide um, a lot of uh, convenience, confidentiality as well, a lot of things that people want to discuss, particularly during these periods of their life, they're quite sensitive, they're very emotional. People can discuss that within the comfort of their own home in a place where they feel safe uh, to do that. Um, and then finally, you know, what it allows us also to do is to provide more personalized care because we are able to track not just, you know, what you tell us in an appointment right now. Um, we also know what you've been discussing with us last month or six months ago and bring all of that information to the table so that you're getting care that's really personalized to you, uh, what you need right now as conveniently as you need it right now. And I think that's really a it's a real transformation. You know, we're so hardwired to think about healthcare in, in an appointment-based, going to some somewhere to get care way. Um, it's quite a big mental shift. Absolutely. And I think it's definitely, definitely needed. And I can certainly relate to wanting to have, you know, more control over the timing, the experience, and just the comfort around discussing health issues, especially sensitive ones as these. So thank you for Peppy. <laughs> um, so Peppy started as a digital health, health platform for women going through early parenthood mm -hmm. and then menopause. Can you tell us a little bit about the support you offer for men and their health challenges? Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing to say is, um, so we are three co-founders, two, two men, one woman. Um, so this is always something that, you know, our, our goal has always been to be inclusive, um, although we have often been labeled a femtech. Um, we, we don't necessarily see ourselves just as that. We see ourselves as really kind of filling in some of the key gaps in healthcare. And men's health is a big gap, actually. 
Um, so men of working age are 32% less likely to see a GP when they need it. And if you think about the men in you know, our lives, whether that's partners, brothers, cousins, colleagues, etc., um, they actually don't have the same kind of regular interaction with the healthcare system as women do. Uh, women are often going in for things like regular checks, be that cervical smear tests for contraceptive needs. Um, if you do become a biological parent through your prenatal check, postnatal checks, well, baby checks, etc., cetera, um, we're kind of have a habit of going to see our doctors. Men do not have much reason to interact with their GP, general practitioners on a regular basis. They, what we see, and it's really quite shocking when you look at the stats, they will often delay, they will um, procrastinate, they may or may not even discuss with a friend what their concerns are. And the underlying statistics are really shocking because by the time that men come to the age of 60 plus, they are in their doctor's offices just as often as women are with long-term conditions, which have often been neglected or delayed, they've delayed seeking help. And so that's really the premise for men's health is that we need to create a safe space for men to come in, raise those questions early, flag issues that are maybe bothering them. Maybe they're just observations at this point, not really even at the cause for concern. So what our men's health service does is it provides really holistic support, but with more specialist support available in the background. So the services spearheaded, as all our services are, by nurses. So we have urology nurses, general nurses, also going to be bringing in cardiology specialist nurses. But we can also talk to you about other, um, other things, such as your nutrition, your fitness, um, as we go, you know, maybe for a man in his 40s, that's radically different. Your body has radically different needs to when you were 21. How do you adapt to that? Maybe you want to, you know, you're concerned knowing what your family history was. We've had people come into our platform and say, you know, my dad died of a heart attack or a prostate cancer at the same age that I am now. What could I do? What should I know? Um, they may not necessarily want to go to their GP to discuss that. A GP may not be able to address that in eight to 10 minutes. Um, and they may not want to bother their GP. We hear so much about, you know, GPs being massively overworked and stretched. It can be quite difficult sometimes to get that appointment. So what we allow men to do is to come into the peppy environment, engage us in whichever way suits them. It could be lifestyle nutrition. It could be about their mental health. It could be about stress at work. Uh, we have mental health specialists who focus on particular issues that tend to disproportionately affect men. And like I said, we also have our nursing team there in the background. If they mention anything that could be of concern or if they want to go directly to them, they can have those conversations about you know, what are some warning signs? What are some things that they've noticed in their body that they maybe should be investigated further? And our team can direct them either on how to better look after their health, if it can be something that's self-managed or nudging them to seek seek that medical attention, seek that those diagnostics, if that's what's relevant and appropriate for them. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I think it's it's really great to provide a solution that you know focuses on the entire population because healthcare is something that affects everybody. And it's I'm sure a lot of people listening will be surprised to hear some of the stats that you've shared around how men engage with healthcare services as well. So we've spoken quite a bit about you know the, the direct-to-consumer offering and what it what the experience is like for individuals, but the importance of health and well-being is being increasingly clear to companies as work-life balance becomes a larger factor. And, you know, we've come off the back of a pandemic that has changed the way that we think about work and the way that we work in general. Aside from the product itself, how can Peppy be utilized 
as a retention tool, for example, for companies? Mm. Well, I think you're absolutely right. We have absolutely, over the last, I'd say, three years, seen a big shift in how employers are thinking about um, health and well-being in the workplace and their role, uh, particularly in the UK, of contributing towards that and supporting that um, for their for their workforce and, and actually their entire workforce, whereas previously they may, may have focused on more the senior execs um, and, and so on. Um, I think it's also part, you mentioned the pandemic, but I think it's actually part of a much broader trend of where we've got an aging society um, and generally talent shortages, whether that's highly skilled tech workforce or simply, you know, we see restaurants, retailers um, struggling to get those resources they need to staff up their staff up their businesses. Um, and so I think employers are increasingly coming to recognize the fact that um, a lot of the narrative that's been going on in the corporate space around diversity, equity and inclusion um, where previously it was more about talking about it, opening up conversations, making it part of your CSR policy. Now it's really biting where it hurts on the top line and on the bottom line. And for that, they need to really put their money where their mouth is when it comes to embracing that across their workforce. And Pepe uh, allows them to do that. Um, it allows them to say, here, we are going to offer something that is for you, um, not just because you have a C-level title, but because you are working, whether that's in a warehouse, whether that's in a call center, um, we recognize you, we value you, we recognize that you have particular needs, um, and we are actually going to provide support to you as an individual to help you through this journey in a confidential way, in an arm's length way. But what it does, it, it opens up conversations, and we've seen some phenomenal instances where um, Introducing Pepe into an organization has spawned so many conversations from board level down to, you know, all hands town hall type of level to new graduate onboarding conversations. Um, and the stories are quite wonderful in terms of the culture change that Pepe enables, because it gives something tangible for senior business leaders, for HR, for line managers to talk about when somebody comes to them and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. And it also gives the staff the permission to actually come forwards and say, hey, I am struggling with this and I know that you're gonna recognize me. I'm not gonna get brushed off or you know, dismissed or kind of you know, discriminated against because um, you actually offer this benefit. And so you are already recognizing it and that inherently gives me permission. Yeah, that's a really, really great point. Um, a bit of an off-the-shoot question that we probably yeah. hadn't discussed previously, but a lot of um, founders, especially founders who are providing, you know, services that affect everybody, sort of day-to-day -day sort of consumers, really struggle when they think about how best to sort of create these companies and create revenue streams that are sustainable. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you decided to have a B2B offering mm. um, and how, how that actually impacts the bottom line? Obviously, there is a mission-driven purpose behind this business, okay. but you know, profit is also extremely important to stay afloat and to continue to develop and innovate. Can you talk to us a little bit more about yeah, that decision? Sure. sure, it was a big one, as you can imagine, and one we took very, very early on, um, and we've been committed to B2B2C ever since, recognizing that the end product has to delight and you know, so satisfy and the needs of our end consumers. But ultimately, B2B for a few reasons. One, 
it was part of our mission that we wanted to make this as widely accessible as, as possible. Now, if you think about the kind of times at which people need to engage with PEPI, maybe they're on parental leave, maybe they're thinking about reducing their hours at work because they're suffering such terrible menopause symptoms. Financial stress is often a component that coincides with periods of health stress. So for us intuitively, it didn't make sense then to get uh, take somebody who at the point of financial and health stress, ask them to pay because then you're going to by you know, default narrow your scope of people who are gonna be in a position to make that decision and make it unthinkingly. Um, and also then won't churn as soon as, you know, they feel a little bit better as users. Um, what we can do with B2B is we can access a much wider segment of society. And like I said, we work with retail banks, um, discount retailers, whose uh, it's, it's, it's their entire staff from day one. We work with public sector organizations as well as private sector organizations and, you know, um, investment banks and law firms and so on. But what it allows us to do is to provide equitable access to all of those people because everybody gets exactly the same service. Um, so that's a really kind of core philosophical point on that. Um, and secondly, if you think about, you know, having a baby, most people will have one, two, maybe three um, each time as from, a, you know, with a sort of SaaS type business hat on, you have to go and acquire those users. Right? That's a very costly exercise to try and reacquire that user, maybe that three times, and then you lose them. And then you have to acquire somebody completely brand new, maybe you know, coming down the line who's having their first baby. That doesn't make sense. Um, for an employer, what we have is, is a population, a population which has continually evolving and refreshing needs. Next year, there will be another cohort of people trying to have babies or having babies. Next year, there'll be another cohort of people who are starting to experience onset of menopause symptoms. So in terms of our um, CAC, it made a lot more sense for us to go after the B2B market than direct consumer. Thank you for sharing that, Madrila. I think it will help a lot of founders as they think about you know, the best way to structure their revenue models. And um, shifting over to the investment climate, hmm. in your opinion, how do you think investors can best help female founders in this current environment? I think my observation is it's been, it's a period of tremendous and rapid shifts. Um, and, you know, you might have some thoughts of this as well, Shun. And I think the best thing for female founders, um, but, you know, founders in general is, as much as investors can communicate what exactly they are looking for right now and what their criteria are right now, and they could be very different to what they were three months ago, six months ago, 12 months ago, um, and providing transparency and clarity on that is probably the most helpful thing that any investor can do right now. Thank you for sharing that. Can you share um, some really positive experiences and feedback that you've gotten from investors that maybe didn't actually end up um, investing in Pepe in a way that yeah. it didn't feel like they had wasted your time. Yeah, sure. Look, I mean, the reality is, um, you know, the macroeconomic environment is challenging right now. Um, and I think, you know, where people have been really clear around, you know, either the desire, the time frame for which they're looking to see um, the business get to profitability or the profitability levels at which they would want to see the business to be right now. That has been incredibly 
helpful to have a very clear metrics-based conversation where they're saying, look, this is our threshold. You guys are here. I can see you're going to be there in 12 to 18 months. That timing doesn't suit us from where we stand today because actually that's, you know, maybe last year we would have taken a bet on that, but right now that's not what our IC is looking for. Um, it's much easier to have those upfront, very clear um, clear conversations, I, recognizing, of course, that we're in a period of flux, right? So some of the, some VC funds, some investors haven't quite made up their mind yet. And those are the tricky ones, right? Where they're trying to evaluate in, on, on 20 different dimensions, seeing it kind of fits here, it kind of fits here. Can we, can we get, you know, can we get comfortable there? That's when the conversations can drag on for quite a long time. Yeah, no, I, I would agree and echo that in our work. That's sort of some of the feedback that we we receive as well, just in general in the ecosystem. And it's especially more difficult for underrepresented founders because there's been such so much attention and focus put into this area that's led to a lot of engagement, but doesn't necessarily translate into the investment. And so being yeah. able to weed out, you know, some of those conversations that may not necessarily be happening maybe at the right time yeah. is very important. And I think clarity. Is, is key for investors when having conversations with busy founders. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, for underrepresented founders especially, if you don't have the kind of personal professional networks where you're organically building this view, you know, somebody needs to tell you. Otherwise, you're just second guessing, um, yeah. you know, all the time, which just can lead to so much frustration. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. Um, education is key. We know that. At what age and stage should we start to invest in the future of female founders from your perspective? Ooh, early, early. I, I'm, <laughs> so before, before as a founder, look, I was an engineer and I, I firmly believe that, you know, even for that, you have to start young. It starts with basic maths, enjoyment of maths. Um, you know, you're mo most likely to be a founder, either if you're coming from an economics and finance background or from a sort of, you know, engineering background for that, you have to really instill a love of maths and numbers early in kids, primary school age kids, let them do a lemonade stall, let them try, you know, in the US, Girl Scout cookies, whatever it takes, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, get them, get them, it, it comes up fundamentally from having a level of self-confidence and yes. willing to take risks and being able to take calculated risks. And I, yeah. I don't think you can start early enough on that. I totally, totally agree. So pivoting more to sort of the experience of being part of the Peppy team and working in mm -hmm. your company, you've obviously have you've obviously had massive growth um, over the last few years. Is your team working from home or in the office? And how would you describe your culture? And did you intentionally build this culture, having had a background in other organizations? Talk to us about how you thought about mm -hmm. building your team and maintaining a culture. Yeah, so we've built the whole Peppy team uh, we started Pepe in end of 2018. So we were a tiny team before COVID hit. So we have built our entire Pepe team remotely during the pandemic. So we um, went for a remote first approach. Um, so the team is distributed across the UK and across other geographies as well now. Um, and so that has been part of our ethos from the start, partly driven by circumstance, but also driven by the fact that, you know, both Max Seven and I have all worked in multiple other organizations, um, corporates, for-profit startups um, before, uh, professional services. And we've tried, we really sort of sat down and thought about what kind of organization we want, we wanted to build. 
Um, in terms of the culture, I think that we have two different, two very strong aims, and it's a constant balance to try and figure out how we define those aims. So first of all, we're a very mission-led organization. We firmly believe in what we're setting out to do, which is about health equity, providing um, access as broadly as possible, recognizing obviously with employers, we are, you know, that we, at some point we hit a limit, um, but real strong desire to make this a mass market product to as many people as possible and to support people at some of their most vulnerable moments in their lives, because often health issues coincide, as I mentioned, with financial stress, family stress, relationship stress. And so that's something that runs very deep in our DNA. Um, everybody at Pepe, but to be honest, all, everybody we speak to has a story. It's just a matter of surfacing it, but it really does hit home. And I think most people at Pepe feel, have a strong, feel a strong personal connection to, to our mission one way or another. Um, second thing is we are a highly ambitious VC-backed startup. So we also have a very high performance culture, um, very rapid feedback culture. We work at slightly manic pace most of the time. Um, and so it suits people who have that ambition and drive and want and can at this point in their lives work at that pace. Now, recognizing that that isn't for everybody at that particular time in their lives, but that's something that we certainly um, are all about trying to bring about, you know, bring together a team where there's excellence, functional excellence, leadership excellence, um, kind of, you know, collaborative, but yet highly collaborative nature where we're all aligned um, to move as one in our, towards our mission. Um, as you can imagine, this is, it's not a, there are very few, very clear role models for us to work from on an organization like that. So it's a constant learning journey. Uh, we're constantly evolving as the team grows, as we face new challenges, be that, you know, people in different, different countries now in different time zones, um, working with people who've come from very different organizations, our clinical staff, you know, a lot of them have spent some time in the NHS or in private practice before they come and have never worked in a VC-backed startup before. So um, a lot of work and thought goes into it. Uh, I think we probably get it 90%, 80%, right? Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> of course, um, we're on a learning journey as well. But I look, I think one of the things that we found from our June employee survey, and it's something we take very seriously, we do it twice a year, you know, the, overwhelmingly, almost everyone believes that Pepe is a tremendous force for good in the world. And the same number of people believe we're highly ambitious. So we're always trying to make sure we're, we're solving for both, not one at the expense of the other. That's really helpful. I know, you know, I've met a number of people from the Pepe team, and that was actually part of the reason why we're so excited to bring you guys on board our launch with GS, European Female Founder Cohort, is just the, the passion, the enthusiasm, the focus and the drive of the team is exceptional. And I think that is a reflection of yourself and your co-founders. So moving on to thinking about the future a little bit, Merdola, how do you envision the tech ecosystem regarding investment for female mm. founders in the next 10 years? I think 10 years time will be a very exciting time. Um, so when we started Pepe, there were very few, hardly like really a handful of female partners in the VC funds um, that, that I spoke to. What I'm seeing now is emergence of a real whole cadre of phenomenally engaged and highly talented female associates who are now starting to trickle up into partnership. 
um, and starting to really change the conversation, um, uh, change the conversation. I think in 10 years time, when those people have been partners for a while, been around the block for a while, seen as the established cohort of investors in, and I'm talking more on the European perspective, of course, because that's where we, you know, we've, we've been based and built the business out of London so far. Um, I think that will be super interesting um, and really change the dynamic of the funding environment for founders who are starting their business in, in 10 years time. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. It's something that, you know, we're very excited about and that we believed in and backed and invested in for many years. And so excited to see that future unfold. So before we let you go, wanted to ask you some quick fire questions. Go for to it. To wrap up the conversation today. So if you could go to the pub with any entrepreneur, who would you choose? Oh, this week it has to be Elon Musk. Everybody <laughs> wants to get inside his head, right? What are Absolutely. you going to do with Twitter? That's the $44 billion question. Um, so he's the man of the moment. Um, definitely Elon Musk. Great. What's a startup you're loving at the moment and why? Uh, I have to say a bit self-absorbed with Peppy at the moment. <laughs> I would be surprised if you said anything else. <laughs> I am absolutely loving Peppy. But look, um, I, I'm seeing a lot of uh, other interesting things happening in adjacent spaces. I'm still a deep believer in in health and we're moving together as a cohort of uh, startups doing great things in women's health whether that's carrot fertility whether that's maven whether that's um clio um it's an exciting cohort to be part of that's awesome and lastly fill in the blank to be a founder you must be resilient <laughs> it is everybody says it's a roller coaster ride the highs will be higher than you ever expect the lows will definitely be lower than you expect um you need to have a very good support system around you and yeah. don't expect that you can do it all yourself yeah thank you so much medulla i think that's a perfect note to end on thank you for spending time with us today and thank you everybody for listening can you just remind us medulla on how people can find out more about you and about Peppy? Sure, you can find out more about Peppy on www.peppy.health or email us at hello at peppy.health um, and we'd be glad to have a chat. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Have a great day. Thanks, Ian, for having me. That is it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. Now, my question to you is, have you subscribed to the podcast yet? If not, now is the time. We've got some fantastic episodes lined up for you this series, so keep an eye out. We'll be back with the next episode on the 6th of December. In the meantime, though, why don't you catch up on our previous episodes? Episode number one with Carl Loco and episode number two with Sarah from Pitch. So that is it from me. My name's been Sina Sadzada and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much.